my view as an investor, as an entrepreneur is the radical obsessive view on customer. What's going to make uh, my customer happy? What's going to delight her? How is she going to change behavior? How is she going to be loyal? And the more you can hone in on that and just have that be your, your guiding light tends to be the winning formula more often than not. Welcome to Beyond High Street. My name is Jeannie Derrick and I'm the Dean of the Pharma School of Business here at Miami University. Today, I'm joined by Mike Smirklow, who graduated with a Bachelor of Science degree back in 1991. So welcome, Mike, and thank you for doing this audio with me, this podcast with me. Thanks, Jenny. It's a pleasure to be here. So as our listeners know, we do weave through a range of topics. We, we learn about Mike's background, how you got to Miami, what you did through Miami, what your journey was beyond Miami. We also um, take advice from you along the way. Then we switch gears and we move into your memory lane. So all the things you can remember that you're willing to share, always a good thing. And then we move on to the last part of the audio, which is a little bit of advice for those students who might be listening. So off we go. So my first question is, why did you choose the pharma school? Well, it's great. Um, I was the first person in my family to ever go to college. So for me, it was a pretty daunting consideration. I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, in the rough parts of Toledo, Ohio. Some listeners may ask if there's a good part of Toledo, but there is. But I grew up in the, the mean streets of East Toledo and really was just trying to find a place reasonably close to home um, that I could go continue my education. And I wanted to come play basketball. So I tried to walk onto the basketball team, um, but that was a short-lived dream. And once I got to campus and realized I wasn't able to play basketball, I started to focus on um, everything that Miami had to offer. So as a first-generation student, Mike, I mean, how did you find, you know, do you remember those first memories when you set foot on, on campus and, and you said it was a bit daunting, but do you recall some of those early reflections and how you overcame perhaps some challenges that came with just not knowing the system and how to make it work? Yeah, it's great. Well, I mean, my, my quick joke is I think there were, pterodactyls flying by it was so long ago so when you say 1991 I, I always think of the students like going oh my gosh uh, grandpa's on the podcast but um you know it also was it was uh, such a I can remember like it was yesterday because having grown up um, without a lot of role models no economic prosperity coming to this place it was um, both scary and exciting at the same time uh, the campus was beautiful I didn't even visit the campus until my until I showed up um, I was raised by my single mom. She dropped me off and drove away. And I just remember looking at the campus and thinking, I don't know what this is. I don't know where this is. Um, you know, I don't know all these very nice looking people with little ponies. Uh, Ralph Lauren Polo was very popular at the time. I was like, I don't know where this is, but I absolutely um, fell in love instantly. But then was scared because it was just a really different environment than, than I was used to. But it was just such a great feeling to step on campus. I can remember it, like I said, like yesterday. So talk to me about the choice of major that you, um, what was your choice of major and how did you fall into that? Yeah, I was, I came in thinking I wanted to go into business. Um, I was just actually just telling my, I've got a couple of kids in high school now. And I said, I remember sitting in an economics class um, and I didn't really know what economics was. This might've been sophomore year. And I actually mouthed the word to an answer and my professor called me afterwards and he said, you seem to really have an affinity towards economics and business. And I, I said, yeah, I do. And it was to that professor who really encouraged me to take a deeper look at accounting, economics, and finance. I ended up majoring in accounting largely because um, I wanted to get a job. 
And it was a time when I needed to, to make money. Uh, I've been working my way through college, but it was really the faculty that pulled me aside. Um, I'm forever indebted to help me think about business, help me think about what a career could look like. Um, and then, you know, went from there. So your first job out of school, if I'm not mistaken, was an auditor at EY. So talk to me about that transition and, and auditing as a profession too, what you found, you know, what excited you about that first move? Well, the first move is, this will be funny for students now, but the first moment was I was offered, I think, $27,000 as a first-year auditor. So I, I, I quickly became the highest paid smirk low in history. So <laughs> it's so funny to say, but first part was just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get paid a salary. Um, and then I moved to Chicago to work for Ernst Young. It was a great career start, great training, great um, introduction to the business community. Uh, but then I also realized in pretty short order that I was not fit to be an auditor. Um, there was just a little more too much an entrepreneurial streak in my in my veins, but it was a wonderful place to start and another place that just really gave me a great foundation for business, much like Miami did, learning the language of business and then being able to use it throughout my career. And from there, if I'm not mistaken, you went on to Lehman Brothers as an associate, then you went into Morgan Stanley and in investment banking. So talk about those transitions. Yeah, I got. Um, I, I was at Ernst Young. I knew I didn't want to do it. I wasn't sure. I thought about being a lawyer. I thought about being um, all sorts of things. I just had this kind of desire to to push myself forward. Uh, another Miami alum, actually, one of my fraternity brothers, was working at Lehman and said, "Hey, there's an opening here." I had to go through this crazy interview process. I was lucky to get into Lehman. Uh, really lucky in Chicago. From there, I went to uh, went on to get my MBA at Northwestern. And then moved out to Silicon Valley in the late 90s um, and went to work for Morgan Stanley in a very interesting time in Silicon Valley, late 90s. And, um, you know, just very instrumental in my career as well. And then you moved from there to Opsware, but then spent a lot of time at a company uh, in the, in the called Service Source. Sorry, I had to look it up. There's the word service in a few places. I was just I wrote service down. So so talk to talk to us about especially service source where you were both the CEO and then you became chairman of the board and were there for quite a long time. Yeah so I was um I was at but my my short story was as at Morgan Stanley it was a crazy time. I was I made more money than ever thought possible. They offered me a lot of money to stay but it was just this time of vibrant entrepreneurship a lot of dynamic things happening. And I was watching these entrepreneurs just do great things, build great businesses. I got recruited by a guy named Mark Andreessen, now legendary Andreessen Horowitz fame, and went to work for him for two years. Saw Opsware, it was loud cloud time, Opsware, go from a concept to IPO, uh, another amazing experience in my life. And then I quit. Uh, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wasn't sure how. I raised a small pool of capital to buy a business. I bought a great business called Service Source. I ran it for 13 years and took it from when I bought it, it was about 30 people and a couple million in revenue. Um, we raised capital from Benchmark, General Atlantic, took it public in 2011. And by the time I retired in 2014, uh, over 3,000 employees, a uh, third of which were outside the U.S., $300 million in revenue and um, very lucrative for myself and, uh, and all my investors. So we will talk a bit about early career advice toward the end of the the um, podcast. But what's in my mind right now as I listen to you speak, within 10 years, you've gone from auditor EY through the investment banking route into a startup community. So what? how would you reflect on that, especially for students who might be listening to this podcast 
in terms of the journey you took, maybe some of the fear you had, the risks you might have perceived you were taking, and what really propelled you to, to move as you did on upward? Yeah, well, first of all, I think what's so important today, Jenny, is I, I was so blessed to have a foundation. And again, I don't want to overplay it. I wrote a book about entrepreneurship, which I'm happy to talk about, but really, I just thought about foundation. And my whole mantra early on was, how do I work with the smartest people I can get the most training I can and get a foundation. And so accounting at, at Ernst & Young, finance and investment banking at Lehman and Morgan. And then when I decided I wanted to go into operations, I looked around for the two best operators and was fortunate to get recruited by them. So I'm legendary entrepreneurs, Mark Andreessen and Ben Horowitz, mm. and said, I'm going to go work for them. Uh, all of which then I think served me so well in my entrepreneurial journey and my leadership journey. It's almost... And I mean, when I say out loud, like, wow, I was really lucky. But I think the things I did well, I just kept pushing myself and kept thinking about how can I get better and how can I surround myself by really smart people? Uh, I did take more risks than I realized. Uh, you know, it's kind of those things when you look back in your life and you go, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. Um, I just had this appetite to really try and be my best and, and do more but I took on more risk in retrospect than I, I actually realized. And, um, you know, I, I was very lucky away along the way too. So I don't know how you factor that in advice, but luck <laughs> certainly has been a big part of my story. Awesome. Good luck and good management sometimes. It's a bit of both. So you you have and you do serve on a number of boards and now you've got a company called New Coast Ventures. So talk talk a little bit about both of those components. Yeah, so when I was, um, after uh, the end of my CEO tenureship, which we can talk about, it's kind of an interesting, uh, and I found myself, um, I've been very economically rewarded by my experience. I have, have, but had four young children at the time, and my wife and I decided to move from Silicon Valley to Austin, Texas in 2016, and I started a, a venture capital firm called Next Coast Ventures. We now have about $600 million of assets under management. We've raised three funds. And we invest in the next generation of entrepreneurs, often in early stage technology companies. So it's been a real blessing for me. I think I sit on probably eight or nine boards at this time, but I wanted to continue to provide some of the leadership and guidance I had gotten as an entrepreneur uh, and give that back to the next generation of entrepreneurs. So that's what I do today. And we're headquartered in Austin, Texas. Given your own background, I mean, you've already said you, you look at technology companies, I get that. But given your own background, is there a type of person, a type of leader that you're drawn to when you're evaluating some of your investment options? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the hardest thing about this job uh, in venture capital, and I, I was blessed to come back to campus uh, last spring and talk to some of the entrepreneurs there. Um, really great things happening. Really fun to see the entrepreneurial spirit at Miami. But I, I often say the market, take a new business, you can look at the market size, how big is it? You can look at how disruptive the solution. Candidly, that's the easiest part of the job. The hardest part of the job is getting, as T said, is the entrepreneur. And knowing uh, how hard the job is, how much sacrifice it entails, we are really looking for an entrepreneur, what we call, we use a term called glass eaters, which is not really a fun term. But the person that's willing to do whatever it takes within legal and ethical boundaries to get through all of the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And so whenever I'm talking to entrepreneurs, I just say, listen, it's going to be hard. It's like the hardest job in the world, but it can also be the most rewarding. You really have to have the mental acuity to get through all of those ups and downs. Oh, I love that. 
So, so you've written a book, Mr. Monkey and Me, and um, it's it's sort of to demystify the truth, if you will, <laughs> about entrepreneurship <laughs> or the things that you're not taught in business school. Tell me about the book and and um, yeah, and and some of the the nuggets of of information and of, of advice. Well, it was um, something. It was more. It was much like being an entrepreneur. If I'd known how hard it was going to be to write a book, I wouldn't have done it. Uh, I have such great admiration for those who do it professionally. But I really sat back and looked at my own career. I looked at the people that I'd learned from, folks like Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen, and other folks early in the Valley. And then I talked to a bunch of my friends that were much more accomplished than I was, and I said, "What were the mental aspects that helped you succeed?" And so the book uh, is not about me. It's about some of my learnings, but really observations and a formula that I, I was able to obtain from a bunch of interviews of successful entrepreneurs about the mental side of it. Because I think there's way too much, there's a lot of research that you can do on how to build a business plan. Uh, there's a lot of research and kind of lightweight blog posts on what Elon Musk eats for breakfast. No, it's really helpful when you're, excuse me, starting out. And so this is really a five-step acronym called SHAPE about the mental aspects of entrepreneurship and uh, it's a pretty light read, pretty enjoyable read. And I'm proud to say that all the proceeds of the book go to support a scholarship at Miami of Ohio. So that was a, a fun full circle experience for me. So what, what is the main advice that you would give our students about the mental aspect of being a successful entrepreneur? Yeah, I think the first thing is a lot of it's timing. Um, and I, I do talk to young, certainly young entrepreneurs are coming out of college. And I think that I encourage people to go get a foundation, probably jumping ahead to the career advice, but having a foundational um, understanding of business oftentimes is really interesting. I mean, we all love to talk about Mark Zuckerberg starting Facebook in his dorm. But the reason we talk about Mark Zuckerberg is because he's a one in a million. I mean, really, it's incredibly rare for that to be ha to happen. doesn't mean you shouldn't try it, but foundational experience matters. And then I think equally important is, are you mentally prepared? Do you have a support structure? Do you have people that can give you help? Do you have the, the persistent mindset? These are all part of this formula um, to be able to do this. And if you don't, there's no perfect time to be an entrepreneur, but being thoughtful about if the timing's right and you have the support infrastructure and you're mentally prepared can be just as important to the success as coming up with the next great idea. And on the, I was about to ask you about the next great idea. Would you, do you think people get it right the first time with the next great idea? Or do you think it just takes a bit of time and sometimes luck, sometimes timing markets, you know what I mean? Just to, to, to launch something that's got traction. Yeah, you know, it's an unfortunate answer is it's kind of all of the above, right? I mean, I think there is, is it a unique product? Is it the market big enough and timing. Unfortunately, in the venture business um, and entrepreneurship, there's a lot of great ideas that are just simply too early or too late. And so part of our job is trying to, to assess that. Um, but I will say the reason I wrote the book because, and I don't want to just talk about the book, but oftentimes you'll have every category where there's a new business model or AI is the hot topic now, there's always four or five companies that have the same strategy and the same market size and one of them emerges as a winner. Um, and that's where I, I kind of focus in on the mental aspect of it. But I do think it's market size, it's timing, it's luck. And then it's just the the ability to, to get after it and, and go through all the ups and downs that, uh, that come your way as an entrepreneur. 
And as we know in any business, in getting customer adoption and 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 repeat business is is three parts, isn't it? Just finding that way of sticking in the market and getting getting customers to see the value of what you're doing. Well, that's you know it's great you say that, Jenny, because I, I I say this all the time too. Is that listen, the world we're all busy, right? You don't wake up thinking about something new, and inertia is really hard to 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 move past. So my view as an investor, as an entrepreneur, is the radical obsessive view on customer. What's gonna make uh, my customer happy? What's gonna delight her? How is she gonna change behavior? How is she going to be loyal? And the more you can hone in on that and just have that be your, your guiding light tends to be the winning formula more often than not. And one thing I've always um, thought of when I look at any startup is, what is the problem this is actually solving and how is this going to solve my problem better than something else that's currently on the market? Because if you can't give me a compelling answer, then we, we've got a problem. Yeah, inertia, that gets exactly what I was alluding to about busy. It's like inertia is really powerful. Inertia meaning what, how I go to work, what I listen to, what do I do? And so if you're going to give me something different, to your point, it has to be, it doesn't have to be marginally better. It has to be dramatically better. So does that's a good stress test for any ideas. It's something to me that's so significantly different that people will change your behavior. And I often ask entrepreneurs, like, when's the last time you change your behavior based on a product or a solution? And that's a, a light bulb moment to go, okay, am I thinking about the scope of what I'm offering or the extent? Can I improve my offering in some way that'll shift behavior? And I think for students listening, it's easy to get caught up on the technology of the idea and, and try and perfect the science of the technology. But to your point, we've got to be market facing and think about how do we actually unstick a customer pool from what they're currently doing and, and switch them over the tech, even though we might be talking about something that is more advanced from a technology point of view, we've got to figure out how to create uh, a new, uh, to break the inertia and just create some uh, movement. Absolutely. Yep. That's well said. Good, good. All right. Time to move down memory lane. You did say before 1991 was a long time ago, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we'll do a sort of a rapid fire round with a bunch of questions and, and, and there is no right and wrong answer. Of course, there's no grade at the end of it's about how good your memory is. Phew, okay. I think memory is memory is so skewed. Memory is the oh, least no. trustworthy source of information. It's, so. it's <laughs> the truth. So when you look back at, on your time at Miami, who was your favorite professor? Oh my goodness. Um, I'm not gonna remember the name. Uh, it was an organizational design professor. He was not there for, he was there for a few years afterwards, but it was, um, or it was, I'm sorry, behavioral therapy. It was a class around how people make decisions and it was a soft skills class in the business school. Um, but it was so good because it just showed how people make decisions and it just introduced this whole, it was kind of economics meets behavioral theory. Um, I'll have to, the name will come to me in a moment, but it was such an instrumental class. Um, I don't know, I just loved it. And, and, and I can see why, given the answers to your early, the earlier questions, just understanding customers and their behavior, the, the fascination of what subject did you least enjoy? <laughs> oh, um, uh, my, I can remember this my first class. I had to take uh, botany trees and shrubs. <laughs> and we had to walk around the campus um and you had to it was a beautiful because you took it in the fall but um walk around campus and the exam was the professor would just aimlessly walk around campus he'd walk up to a tree 
and you had to define the tree, tell the Latin name for it. <laughs> it was, just, you know, those classes that you have to take. I think I got an A in it because it was like, you know, you had to memorize. But I just remember thinking, botany is not for me. I, I enjoy nature, but it was a pretty good indication I, was, I should head towards business. Well, the good news for that, Mike, is there was an app for that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Was, yeah, for the listeners, this was before even the personal computers. So, yeah. <laughs> so as a new newbie to the Midwest, we do go on a lot of walks around the trails and we often have our phone out looking at the, thing, the tracks yeah. we going past, butchering the Latin name, but that's fine. I, I will tell you, since you can't, uh, since I can't be, take my degree away, we would be walking up and we all be whispering is he going to the oak is he going to the you know we're all like trying to figure out and he would just point at it and we had 30 seconds to identify it but yeah so that's, and, and that was a semester right yeah yes ma'am <laughs> what co-curricular activities were you involved in um well i was um i had a, I had a great so i was in the greek system i was an alpha delta phi i played intramural sports so i you know as i said i tried to come to play basketball so i played football, flag football, softball, um, basketball for my fraternity. Uh, and then I worked. I worked three different jobs. I umpired softball. I worked at the rec center. And I sold beer at Cincinnati Bengals games on Sunday. So I would drive down Cincinnati every Sunday and sell beer to help pay for my education. So it was pretty full life. That's a good story. What was your favorite time of the day for class? As in, Are you a morning person or not? Oh yeah, I was I was all about. It's so funny about you know you have different things. I was get get all my classes up and out of the way, and I designed a system where I would read the chapter the night before, go to class, take my notes, and and document it for my studying. But I love getting morning classes, get them out of the way, um, and then have to have the afternoon to uh, to do what I wanted. What was your favorite night of the week while at, at Miami? Oh wow! Well, when I was when, you know it was it was Tuesday night. Um, to go out for they used to have quarter beer night. I don't know if they still do. And, you know the bars are still open. I'm embarrassed to say the names of the bar, but um, I used to love to go out on Tuesday night, and they used to have quarter beer, and um, you know it's just a, a lot of fun memories, blurry fun memories. Did you intern while you were here? I interned. I did not. I had jobs. I had summer jobs um, back in Toledo, but I did not have any formal internships at the university. What was your favorite building on campus? Not uptown. Well, my favorite building on campus was Reed Hall. Uh, for those listening now, at the time when I was there, it was a dormitory. So that was my freshman dorm. It was a magical spot where all the freshmen came together because all the dorms there were freshmen. It had the quad area, and it just sticks out in my memory as such a transformative time in my life and a, a truly enjoyable experience to get to know everybody in that environment. I'm pretty sure you're you're waiting for the next question. What is, what is your favorite spot uptown? Uh, top Deck. That was, you know, Top Deck. At my fraternity house, uh, I think we counted it. It was like 72 steps from the Alpha Delta house to Top Deck. And, uh, you know, you, you kind of walked there and stumbled home. But yeah, Top Deck was always my favorite spot. 72 steps is very good. What was your favorite place to eat while you were at Miami? Well, this is a good question. Is it still there? It was the bagel shop below Top Deck. There we go. Good. Still there. What was your most memorable personal experience while you were here? I think my most experience is what I alluded to before. I'm going to blur it together, but the professors were so welcoming and so encouraging. 
I remember a moment, as I alluded to earlier with the economics professor, it was just the attention that the professor showed and the encouragement they provided me for a, a kid who didn't have great role models and had a lot of self-doubt to be brought into the academic community and encouraged was probably meant more to my professional success than any of the professors would ever imagine. I love that. And, and as we know, the professors are one of our greatest assets even today. They just care so deeply about our students and their experience. Well, if you, when you look back at your time at Miami, is there anything that you would have done differently? You know, it's it's a really great question. I don't think so. Um, I mean, I'm sure there is, uh, but you know, a lot of people look back with regret. I, it was transformative. I mean, that's why my wife and I have set up the scholarship for Miami. It uh, they took a chance on me, which is kind of funny to say. Um, you know, I didn't I didn't have a pedigree that I could not get into Miami today. I just I'm glad rather than regret. I'm glad I took advantage of everything. Had an open mind. And I literally looked at like a like a bowl of ice cream. I'm going to try every flavor. I'm going to eat as much as I can and and relish it. And so I'm just fully glad that I didn't get isolated into one part of the community. I was involved in volunteering. I was involved in Greek. I worked. I had an academic um, experience that was exceptional. So I guess I'd answer it differently, which I'm just glad I took a, a very wide aperture into my experience there. That's great. And and you may, you know, given that you don't live with regret, I'm still going to ask my next question. Is there a class you wish you'd taken? Hmm. Uh, well, I, yeah, actually there is. I mean, I, I supplemented a lot of my hardcore business with soft skills in, in when I went to got my MBA. I think that more of, uh, I wish I would have taken a little more of a liberal arts education. And I don't know if it was even available to me, but it just, I feel like that aspect of my professional development, which I was able to do in, in business school because I recognized it, but just having a, a broader view, um, I wish I would have taken more philosophy, more decision-making, a little more of that aspect of it um, that I was able to do later on. That's great. So now as we move to the last part of the interview, we have been giving advice along the way, but I want to lean into advice. I'm going to ask you three different questions. For those who've listened to my podcast, you know that normally I ask just two, but I'm going to ask you three. So question number one, Mike, is any advice you would give incoming first years as they enter Miami? Well, yeah, I would, I would probably be a little bit repetitive, but it, it's such an amazing opportunity. And I don't think you fully appreciate it, probably like most things in life until after the fact. You have this incredible scenic community, you have rigorous academics, and you have a, a real community there. Mm -hmm. And even when I was back on campus a few months ago, it just hit me. I was overwhelmed by how consistent that is. And I think if you can come in and be open-minded, look at all of the different things, the experiences you can get, and just um, and soak it up and, and take advantage of it. That's my my simple advice. Mm -hmm. So, question number two: What advice you would give would you give to someone who's been out working for just a couple of years? The one thing I did well, for whatever reason, was, and I still do it now. I'm doing it now with a professional coaches. Every three to four years, I sit back and try and do a five-year view. So my advice would be simple is look and try and estimate where you think you want to be in five years. Don't do two years because professionally I'm talking about two years is too short. 
and no one knows what will happen in 10 years, but really trying to project yourself forward into your career and say, in five years, what would I like to be doing? And I'm a firm believer, the more you imagine what you'd like to do and do it with passion and then write it down, it's shocking how the world will come together to meet those goals. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easy, but I would just encourage everyone to do self-reflection on a regular basis, self-awareness and self-reflection and try and plan forward where you want to be in five years, I think you'll be amazed at what happens in your career. And it's such good advice because every now and then I come across alum, especially some of our younger alum, who feel that they've lost their anchor a little bit. And I and there was a, a course some of them have done about visioning yourself in five years and 10 years. But just to keep repeating that process, to your point, Mike, and pull, pull the document out from time to time and reflect about what you set out to do and give yourself credit for what you've done within that period of time. Okay, question number three, the final question. Uh, oh, given, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. uh, so just given your background in entrepreneurship, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who are listening to this podcast? Well, um, I, my, my advice is always simple in this is uh, recognize, for two things, recognize how hard it is. And then two, everything you're trying to do, someone has done it before you. And I mean that only to encourage you to seek mentors. I am, I've been so lucky, but I've been blessed with amazing mentors throughout my life. But also most of that came from seeking them out. And so I, I think for entrepreneurship, it's a lonely, hard job, but look for mentors. Look for people that are just a few years ahead of you in your journey and seek them out and you will be blown away how willing, the willingness of people have to help you. So don't feel like you have to do it alone. Look for mentors and be aggressive to seek them out. And uh, I think you'll also be amazed at how much it'll help and, and the goodness it'll bring to you. Great advice. So as we close, Mike, I'd like to thank you so much for the gift of time to allow us to record this podcast. One defining characteristic of the Farm School of Business is just how engaged our alumni are and how willing they are to continue to find ways to support the school, its students, faculty, staff, and other alumni. And I want to especially thank you and your family for the gift of the scholarship that you've given to allow other students to have the experience that you've had and, and perhaps the same outcomes that you've enjoyed. So thank you, Mike, and go well as you continue in your journey beyond high street. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.